I'm Natasha, and I'm Reed. And together we are Syllogism, a science, culture, and philosophy challenge podcast on the edge of chaos. This week's challenge was to do work for a decentralized autonomous organization. Brett and I both chose to do work for the Cabin Dow. Enjoy. Double pushing. Ew, that's disgusting. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. Wait, wait, there's wait, there's me. This is wrong. I'm cheersing myself. So this is you. Okay, there we go. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> All right, let's talk I about fucking web three, bitch. No, I, I just want to say, even before I talk about that, I just want to say that everything tastes better in a jism mug. so delicious you know my mom said to me my mom goes i don't even know the name of your podcast i was like it's syllogism she's like i don't even know how to say that word i'm like i just said it and she's like like, it sounds like jism and i'm like yes indeed it does it's like but what is it like a silly like what what is syllogism and i had to explain to her what a syllogism was she's like that's dumb shit that's what Bob said. I was like, that's dumb shit. Everybody knows that. Like, <laughs> oh, <Well>. lame. <laughs> All right, let's talk about cabin. All right, let's talk about it. Hit, hit me. The reason I chose cabin. Uh, there's quite a few DAOs. So I have went down a few rabbit holes. No pun intended. Rabbit hole is one of the DAOs that I checked out. There's another one called Dow House, which is a play on Bauhaus. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know why we didn't do that one because I happen to love Bauhaus. Uh, both do the, you? Uh, yeah, both the architecture and the music. So. Okay, there's a lot to say about that in another way, but <laughs> we won't go there. You wearing a black shirt should know better. <laughs> black with... You're, 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 you're either a uh, very uh, orthodox uh, Jewish woman in waiting or uh, a goth. And uh, so I- This I is my Rick and Morty shirt. I love wearing this around kids because they're flicking you off when I go to talk them. The Friends with Benefits was another one. That is a, it's a, I know. <laughs> I know what it sounds like. I, I just want to say I started that Dow. <laughs> so stupid. Sure. Friends with Benefits is a, it's basically a creator's DAO and they make you pay to be a part of their network. So you have to pay $75 mm. to be a part of their network. And then you have to get coins within their network to be able to vote. It seems like a very well-established DAO, but I don't know. I just did, I just did Cabin because A, it seemed the easiest to get in, B, the most well-organized and C, they had a tangible place that I had heard of somewhere a year ago or so in Austin, Texas that I wanted to visit. So that, that was, I was like, I'm for sure I'm doing this. And so far I would say the experience has been really great. I've done quite a few things with them. I've been on three or four weekly media guild calls. I did, you did the onboarding call. I feel like they have a pretty, there's a pretty steep learning curve to getting involved with a DAO. I think. Uh, yeah, I, I, I would say so. The process is, well, it's complex, but it's procedural enough that if you can follow a procedure, you can get it done. So I feel like they did a really good job of keeping it organized. 
start here. Here are your sections. Go through all of these things. Uh, select uh, a guild after you go through the onboarding process, which you can schedule. Then go and seek a bounty. It seems to me like it's, it's steep only if there are pretty big gaps in your knowledge or if you struggle with things like uh, you know, following procedures. And, and, I, and I would say that I didn't know much about doing this stuff, but it wasn't that hard. It was- But you also had a spirit guide, motherfucker. I like was telling you, Brett, go do this. Brett, oh, go Once do I this. got in, most of what I did after the fact was just- You ain't even done the bounty yet. Me being sexy. Well, well here's why. Let me, let me explain to you why. Because one of the things that Cabin does that I think is a little problematic is that they send you an email and say, well, you know, the next thing to do is get a bounty and you should contact a person who represents the guild that you've gotten involved with. And then you're waiting for them and so on. And you were just like last night or yesterday afternoon, go get it. Like, okay, okay. I could do that. Cause I would, cause I was over there. I was in, uh, I was in uh, clarity and I'm like, okay, well, let me look at all the open things. What's something that I could do because I don't really have programming experience. Well, I also didn't want to do something that overlapped with what you do, like with show notes and things like that. I figured it ought to be something different. So they're looking for a procedure for converting uh, your different kinds of coin, whether it's, so it's basically Ethereum is the base and then it uh, converts into cabin. So that's something that I can do because I've already done it. And it's relatively simple. Add an extension, follow this process, <laughs> check with your <laughs> check with your tax attorney to make sure that you're not doing something bizarre. Uh, and then there's probably going to be different interfaces for different uh, web browsers. Uh, I used Firefox. We should probably explain this a little bit more thoroughly. So the way that Cabin is set up, they have you come in and do an onboarding call. And then once you do the onboarding call, within that, they explain to you what kind of activities you can do within Cabin there are different levels of work you can commit to. So if you're kind of like me and you don't, and, and Brett, and you don't want to commit to a lot of work with them, you can do these kind of contractor-like tasks. Right, it's like, it's like gig work. You can just do those tasks and they work through a task management system that's on the blockchain called Clarity. And there are a bunch of tasks listed and some of them have a bounty attached to them. You'll get one cabin token or up to you know seven cabin tokens or whatever, depending upon the complexity of the task. The difference between going on flex jobs and going in and getting a bounty, you have to know about it. You have to understand what it is. You have to want to do it. Whereas on flex jobs, you're just like, yeah, give me my cash. I'm going to do this thing real quick and then bounce right. versus over here as well. The currency is shifting. It's like a moving target. So you have to have a completely different mindset to go in and do the work in a DAO versus going and getting a contract gig or doing a DoorDash or doing anything else. Well, I think there will be people drawn to it uh, who may start off thinking they want to get involved, but then also find themselves just being like gig workers, maybe because they can't even imagine themselves doing more. Um, but in this way, you're not just doing work for yourself to make a couple of coins, you're doing work for something that's going to go on and on and on in perpetuity. So, and, and you're, you can be invested in that perpetuity, which is completely different from a, a gig, gig job. You do the thing and you're done. It no longer means anything to you. It probably didn't mean anything to you in the first place. You just wanted to make your car payment. 
I, that's that's the the premise. The ideology is why I think this could work. Is the the idea of blockchain itself? I'm seeing manifest in reality through places like Cabin. You can, if you don't understand what blockchain is, it's easy to see it physically and tangibly being created by places like Cabin. They literally go build a block. Let's say a cabin that really can't be deconstructed. It really can't be torn down very easily. It takes a lot of work for that to happen. Right. And then we can build upon that chain. It's, it's, it's almost immutable. They, they say blockchain is immutable. It's not entirely immutable. It's almost immutable building something tangible and then building the next building. And, and so I think it's a beautiful allegory for blockchain itself. And then there's the other level of work, which is a little bit more committed, where you receive an actual salary from them, I believe. Every two weeks, they pay out a salary. And I bet people are going to wonder, well, where does the money come from? They have investors, and they also own a piece of property. So they own a pretty substantial piece of property in Austin, Texas, that is an investment or an asset for them. So this, this is the part of Cabin Dow that I thought was really interesting because I haven't heard of any other decentralized autonomous Web3 organizations owning physical assets, which we all know we th at this point seems well, like a good idea. At, at, at some point, the ability to translate any of this stuff into something physical is really what's going to keep it viable because as long as it's just an idea, this can be evanescent. But right. you have something physical, uh, it has the staying power of the physicality you ordinarily have with just, you know, for instance, uh, real estate. Right. So, and so that really gave me a lot of belief in it, thinking, okay, they're, they're tangibly tied to this world. Even, I mean, even if loosely, it still feels like people have put their literal blood, sweat, and tears into this project, actually building structures on their property. So that made me feel like people are more invested in this particular DAO than some other kind of ephemeral, I don't know, DAO that is about diversity and inclusion. <laughs> well, let's, let's, let's cast uh, that net away for a little while. Um, Fine. I, I, I did also look at, uh, and I think they're not necessarily interrelated, but there's, a, there's some kind of connection, in, in part because of the podcast. They have that campfire podcast uh, that people ought to good podcast. really get a good understanding of what's going on. Because there's an introductory one that talks about just DAOs in, DAOs in general. And then there are interviews with another uh, a number of other uh, DAO investors uh, or just people involved generally. And there's one also called Cohere, where they're looking at having... Uh, cohabitating living spaces uh, all over the world, which sounds very similar to what Cabin is doing in that you would have this space in Austin. But uh, on my onboarding call specifically, there were people looking at getting a castle somewhere, uh, you know, in, in Europe. And I thought to myself, well, you know, and I think I even commented this uh, in the chat that we were all going to wind up, you know, partying in the Azores. Um, so the fact that you can then have this physical space, watch it multiply, and then you can live or spend time in any one of these things and contribute in all kinds of ways means you can tie it to all kinds of other aspects of your life. Not just the work, not just the abstraction of being a nomad, but also being able to find, you know, like little homes. So if I wanted to, for instance, I would love at this point to be bi-coastal. Why couldn't I do that by saying, hey, I'm going to pick up and I'm going to be at a cabin over here. 
Right. In, in theory, all of this sounds great. And, and cabin, I don't think cabin's original mission was to be an embassy for these DAOs, but it has somehow translated into that because on the campfire podcast, that's how I first got involved was listening and writing copy for that podcast. And I wrote Twitter threads for them as well. So on the podcast, they invite a bunch of other DAOs into their space to explain what they do. And you're right, Cohere is one of those other DAOs that I found out through the podcast. I listened to the unedited version of the podcast and wrote copy for it. And that's how I heard about Cohere. Now, the one thing I will say about a lot of these other DAOs is that they feel even less well-formed than Cabin. Cabin seems a little chaotic to me because the Discord, the nature of Discord is just insane. Well, I don't enjoy Discord as a rule for the most part. Like I only go there because I have to for some things, but I would never choose to go there or to establish anything there. I have no presence except for my participatory uh, things like in in our book club group and in theory gang and then now in this I follow a couple of others but for the most part uh, I, I just I don't like the structure I, I, right. I find it tedious it right. reminds me of a very very bad um, if you ever work in an engineering organization where you're doing file after file after file it's really yeah. just folder 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 file reference etc uh, and it, it feels too much like ordinary work and so I don't like the interface at all it's, it's just like Slack, but for Slackers, I feel like it's Discord is the, <laughs> the fun version of Slack. This is also a barrier to entry for DAOs because I don't know of a DAO that doesn't use Discord and people, they use Discord for all their communications, all their organization. They're also using Clarity, which is to me a much more complicated and terrible UI interface for a task management system. I didn't love any, any, any of these, actually. None no. of the interfaces really grabbed me. It was like they took the most rudimentary and uh, atrocious things that you would find uh, in any uh, standard organization right. and just duplicated them inside a space that's supposed to feel different. And there it seems to be, and maybe this is the nature of starting something new, there's a lot of bleed over yeah. In the way these from things corporate space from corporate spaces. If you listen to the onboarding, the that's the unfortunate thing about it. And it's unfortunate for me because I step away from corporate things and then I'm like, I just want something different. And it doesn't at least initially feel different. And the difficulty I have as well is that the physical space, which I would love to go visit you and I, I think you and I should just like go there and check it. I would love to let's just get on a plane. Let's go. Okay. Yeah, uh, let's do it. But without that connection, I just feel like it's, it's remote work and I'm not as invested, at least in the early stages, because it is still gig work. And so to me, that's a barrier to entry that, and that barrier is that it doesn't have the tangibility that the physical space has. Interesting. Interesting. I, I feel a little bit different than that, but I like your perspective because I haven't been in a corporate space for over a year. Thank God. I feel like it's more real. It okay. feels like there's less of this masking speech that they use to do nothing. They actually want to do things. So we were talking about, I made a TikTok about Web3 and I said, does Cabin have a TikTok? And they were like, if well, you twerk, if you twerk in Web3, are you paid in Cabin Corner? I'm twerking. Yeah, I'm twerking in <laughs> Web3. Like, like drop that money on me. I will twerk for Jism coin. We need a Jism coin for sure.
We do. That would be awesome. That we could sell Jism coin NFTs. Jism coin is the cheers. <laughs> okay, so what was so, I so saying? And, and maybe, maybe just really quickly, maybe one yeah. of the reasons that I don't feel the same way that that you do, at least yet, is in part that I've only gone through the onboarding, mm -hmm. and the onboarding feels uh, corporate. And and while the people seem nice, it it really doesn't it doesn't give you the same kind of feelings that you sound like you're getting as you're doing, uh, as you're participating more often. Well, maybe that's because the, the tasks that I'm doing, I'm enjoying. So maybe if you were there physically building things, you would really enjoy it. But I, I walked into this space after dealing with the Heterodox Academy, running me around and having me write articles and then <laughs> having me, <laughs> and then having me, they had me edit the article and then they were, then they were like, sorry, this isn't going to work. I'm like, bitch, it's, it's the simplest research article. At. And it's so like, coming from that, where they're slamming doors in my face to this, where they're like, you want to write something for us? Please. Yeah. Write something. We want you to write. I'm like, like, it just felt so welcoming. And, and not only that, but I believe in the ideology behind it, which is that this is supposed to to help people invest for themselves who don't have all of this capital to buy homes and to do all these things. You right. can do it with your own two hands. That's the theory of this. And so I buy into that. So this is one thing I wanted to talk about that's really important for people who want to get involved in DAOs. They need to understand that when you're doing work for these DAOs, you're doing work for an ideology. You're doing work for a premise. You're probably not going to get the immediate transactional value because the, when I started doing work for cabin, it was $9 a cabin coin. Now I think it's like four fifty dollars or something. So there was a huge dip, but it's not just cabin. It's all of crypto. And that mirrors market fluctuations. And, and there's probably more volatility in new coins than there is even in, let's say, like the established Bitcoin. And there's even more volatility in that than there is in the dollar. But uh, the but there's also mirrors in the marketplace generally. So if you go yes, to- but the difference is that the actual dollar doesn't fluctuate as much. Fiat is protected right. from the market conditions right. on that level. And that's what I think is missing in crypto and Web3 space. And they tried to pretend like they were doing that with this with this token called Tether, which is a complete farce. And this is this now I'm getting into the criticisms of the Web3 space because there are myriad criticisms that this is basically just a place for people to pump up their own investments, like Gary V. It has a kind of, I don't know, chicanery to it, I think. It does. And it makes it, it makes the work being done at Cabin, which feels very genuine and very good, feels very good. Mm -hmm. It makes it feel like the whole thing is built on a giant house of cards. And why don't coins generally have something like a standardized value. Tie it, 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 so so within Cabin, the coins should have coin space value. That's standard, no matter what, no matter what yes. it is, whether whether it's whether whether coin relative to a dollar is worth a thousand dollars or ten. That one coin should be worth whatever it is in Cabin space. It's only when it's exchanged, I think, that it ought to be something different. That's one thing that they're working on to try and incentivize people more. So they're working on an NFT passport program, which is basically to say, 
you're kind of a verified member with you buy this NFT. It's kind of, it's a passport. It's a place for you to have all these stamps. Like if you collect 10 cabin, for example, you get access to this aspect of the community. You get to come and stay on the property for this long. And so that's the way that I think those, those passports and coins are intended to be used. But the problem is when most of the work that we're doing, most of the tangible aspects of what we do is when we translate our coins into money. And so until these spaces are more all-encompassing, where I can go buy a, a loaf of bread with my cabin, then it's going to be really hard to stabilize anything. And not only that, but we're creating these kind of isolated communities where like, I'm doing all this work in cabin, which doesn't translate necessarily over here. And if I go to translate any of this coin over here, it loses all of its value. Well, that's a, well, that's, that's a huge problem because uh, without doing something to stabilize that value, then you're only going to be able to use it within that ecosystem. And that ecosystem, like many so like any business that doesn't get something from the outside is going to wind up collapsing it's not going to be self-sustainable without the ability to pull in resources from the external so it, it it needs to find a way to make itself meaningful viable and stable enough in the outside world i think we're headed for another crash with dows because we went through the ico crash in like what 2017 2016 where everybody was having a fucking ICO party. It was like, we're, have, we're launching our ICO. And I remember going like, what the fuck for? What are you going to do with it? Where's your smart contracts, bitch? And even, even this feels like written on loose, on loose contracts. It doesn't feel, and that's good because you don't want something to be super rigid inside when everything outside is like jello. But it, it, it's going to go through another iterative process. And I think the problem is, is people are looking for a place to hang their hat. Well, yeah. And I think it, it also kind of mirrors the idea of, well, it's decentralization and, mm -hmm. <laughs> and the kinds of people that it seems to attract are, well, something like nomadic. So the idea, so, so nomads don't necessarily need to hang their hat anywhere. They, mm -hmm. can, hang, they can hang their hat anywhere. <laughs> They're not necessarily dedicated to any one thing in particular. It's a weird combination of people because there, is these, there are these people who are kind of what I would call like hippies. They're kind of like neo-hippies. Like you've seen Harold and Kumar where the guy's like, what kind of hippie are you? What kind of hippie am I, man? I'm a business hippie. I understand the concept of supply and demand. Business hippie. <laughs> well, there, there's that. And then uh, it really is, it is a high risk thing. And yeah. so it's going to attract certain kinds of people. Mm -hmm. You're not going to get, so when you're thinking about, or this will tether some ways to the idea of the kinds of uh, DEI things that you might find. There, people who don't have a lot of resources uh, and who need some kind of stability because their lives depend on it are not going to be able to take extraordinary risks. The, the, value, the coin valuation fluctuation is an extraordinarily high risk. And someone with a lot of resources can say, well, you know, if I invest in this and if it, if it fluctuates wildly, for some time, or even if it loses, I have ways to, I might have ways to buffer myself against it, are not that concerned with it and can take the risk. Uh, there, no matter what, 
getting involved in something almost in an entrepreneurial kind of way, because a lot of this does the whole, a lot of the idea of the autonomy and the decentralization has to do with kind of emergent properties of, of businesses. In order to be emergent, you need to also have some stability. And all too often, people are going to be excluded. Uh, and I don't know what that base level is, but you're not going to be able to do this if you're risk averse precisely because you have a lot of uh, economic insecurity. Right. And that, like you said, speaks against their DEI initiatives because there is such a thing as a poor people mentality. Poor people look at what's Absolutely. right in front of their face because they fucking have to. Unless there's like a get rich quick thing. There's That's a certain type of poor person who is. Well, that's, well, that's your ICO. <laughs> right. And those are the people that you don't want to attract that think, oh, I'm going to get rich on this because the second the coin drops, they're like, fuck. There is a hardworking person that wants to see their gains kind of adding up for the work that they do, but they need those gains immediately. They need those transactions. So I did an, I did a couple bounties. So I wrote Twitter threads. I did copy for a podcast episode and I've done a Twitter thread for an article that was written on mirror. Mirror is another blockchain based platform. That's like a blogging kind of platform. So I took basically an article they wrote and translated into a Twitter thread. But one thing that I took from that, that was a positive aspect was this idea that you have to be inclined to gifting. You have to understand kind of the indigenous aspect of gifting, which we've gotten away from in our culture. We expect everything to come tit for tat. We want a quid pro quo. Whereas in this space, we have to give, like I'm giving and I didn't even get paid for over a month. And I'm like, y'all ain't, ain't making this look real good. And then, of course, there was someone there to hold my hand. Roxine contacted me a couple of times. She's like, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to you know, miss this or whatever. And she walked me through it. And she actually, they actually had paid me for one of them. But my wallet wasn't set up properly. I hadn't imported the coins. Another you little followed, bit of you a... Should, you should have followed the SOP that I am about to write. <laughs> <laughs> but like it's a it's a mess in there trying to find anything. So like the barrier to entry, technically finding your way through this web is is substantial. So in so they had an in person workshop where they had certain people on Zoom and certain people were in the room, and they led this workshop on how do we create a UN for DAOs basically? How are we creating a social responsibility core that? takes all the aspects of DAOs and shares them amongst each other and the people who want to participate in them. Because there's a lot, what I found is a lot of people do work for multiple DAOs because they believe in the ideology. And one of the aspects was we need to promote a culture of gifting rather than what is this culture from the outside of transactional, like I said, quid pro quo. But the problem is that that is all nice and well, but it does not actually translate to the people who need it the most. The people who need it the most are looking at this like, I don't have time for gifts and shit unless I'm on TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> then you're trying to get them gifts, if you know what I mean. Right, right. <laughs> but this is the thing. It's like, I feel like people are there. They're there in spirit but they're not in the right place. They're like looking around at this place and TikTok, like this is really great. I love giving to people. So the, the, the ideology of gifting is there, 
-hmm. it's just completely misdirected straight back into like a capitalistic monster whereas they could be contributing to these kind of societies and but a it's too complicated b it's not fun necessarily like gifting on tiktok is fun and they have gamified it and they have right <laughs> turned it into like a, a lever pull on a casino machine Whereas here, I got to read fucking SOPs. I mean, but they're willing to dump tons of money into that and no time into this. So it just kind of boggles the mind a little bit. Well, and I, and I wonder, and this goes back to something I was saying earlier. It's like you need, there's, there's so much being borrowed from, uh, from the, corporate, the standard uh, traditional corporate world that you kind of need that, though, in order to make it possible for people to navigate. So, and uh, maybe an example of gifting in corporate space that that I sometimes do is because uh, I'm getting audited all the time, and so I'll have I'll have processes that are really really tight because big thing is is compliance. You don't want the uh, you know you, you don't want the the federales or your customers looking at you and saying that's not right, that's not validated properly, whatever. Um, so I'll have people come in and say, hey, you know would it be okay if I borrow some of this to, so that we're, we're sharing best practices? And I think that's kind of the, the idea. So what you can do is say, hey, I have this idea, let's disseminate it. Ultimately though, that winds up being a way to make things once again, homogenous. So my, my standard uh, way of doing things that it has a kind of measure or a, a perception of, of being excellent makes its way through a whole bunch of other corporations doing business with us. And then it also then makes its way into systems that have nothing to do with us. And maybe DAOs are like that. So they're sharing best practices, but they're still also coming from the corporate world. I, I may have gone that. off way too tangential. No, I don't think so. I think you hit on something really important. I think there is a homogeneity that actually I was watching a really great video by this kind of crazy woman moon cat on youtube i'll link it but <laughs> okay i liked her she's kind of weird and kind of really negative but she did it in a really cutesy way so <laughs> but why is she negative that's that's curious not to say that there are no reasons but i wonder what pe other people are picking up on so she talks about this false decentralization hmm. okay she's calling it she calls it a false decentralization because what i've seen is that the hierarchy of these things is not totally flat. This is not some utopic, another now, like Yanis Varoufakis, whatever the fuck his name is, uh, Greek prime minister wrote in his utopic book. It's not a flat hierarchy completely. It can't be because people come in there, just about anybody come in there with an idea and you gotta be like, we're not that's not the direction we need direction within these things there has to be some some centralization within the decentralized node to say this is where we're leading from and you try to do that via consensus but is as you well know trying to run a democracy requires a certain amount of buy-in and it has to stay small so anytime you get too big for your bridges you start getting a bunch of waste in a sense where people are not actually contributing. There's not a, actually a core group. They don't actually understand the mission. And so this is the problem we've talked about time and time again with corporate growth, that it kind of has to stay 
nice and tight along a trajectory in order for it to maintain a truly or as close to truly decentralized structure as possible. So Mooncat criticized this saying that not only it, she wasn't talking about within the organization, it's not decentralized. She's talking about the entire network not being decentralized because what she's saying is it's still owned by the VCs. It, who owns most of the coin? You know, it's still these big high ticket investors. Right. They still own it. But the good thing about these DAOs is a lot of them have voting power that is muted. So we talked about quadratic voting a while back. How that's apparently how uh, how Cabin is doing theirs. Yes. Yeah. So just because I hold a million tokens and you hold ten, shouldn't mean that I am the lord on the manor, so to speak, and you're the little thief. Right. I mean, kind of is, but like, but less so. <laughs> little thief is that your nickname for me? Then? <laughs> <laughs> little thief. Yo, that's, little thief. What's up? <laughs> that's your rap nickname now for the rap battle. <laughs> little thief. And the theory gang. Bullshit. <laughs> she also did like a really funny analysis of Gary V. Do you know who Gary? Of course, you know who Gary V is. Uh, not sure. Gary Vanderchuk? Probably not. He's like this big, he's big on LinkedIn. He's like this hustle culture god, I think, is what I would describe Gary V as. Okay. He talks about how his father owned a wine shop and basically he came in and fucking whipped that thing into shape. Now he's a multi-millionaire. Basically, he has all these little people who look at him and think he's the fucking coolest thing in the world and they buy into all of his bullshit and make him more rich because they think that somehow being in proximity to him and his ideas is going to rub off, off on them and they're going to be like hustle gang uh, lord, lords and ladies. <laughs> this, <laughs> this game of... Oh, you want to be little thief too? What's up? <laughs> so she talks about Gary V, how basically Gary V minted a series of NFTs, much like Johnny Depp has a series of NFTs. And oh, is it like is it like like Dookie on a pillow? I mean, I might I might even buy one of those. <laughs> but it's like th this is why the NFT space is getting such a bad rap because all these people, these artists, these people who really believe in the the principles, are seeing motherfucking Gary Vanderchuk minting NFTs and then selling them to his buddies. And like the board ape shit and all these other NFTs. And then those people get more rich. Actually, they've all lost their fucking asses right now, which is hilarious. And the gods have willed it. Uh, I think it's a little horseshit. <laughs> and, and here's why. And now you're now, not that I'm some guru, not that I'm the Nostradamus of uh, NFTs, but um, especially early on, the kind of it, the novelty is interesting, but the volatility is there. Again, crash. But the beauty of it is that it's about redistribution of wealth. And look at what's happening. It, we're literally redistributing wealth. And it, but in the meantime, they paid money out to all these people like us who are doing work in the DAOs. So all that money is in these coins, and this is how they redistribute it. So they are losing their ass, yes. But but it's not intentional. <laughs> the, the intent was never to redistribute and to uh, have them lose their ass and give you some money. That's that's a consequence no, of not understanding what was going to happen in the market. Yeah, uh, and it, it is not a consequence of a brilliant plan to execute a redistributive system. 
No, it's not. But it is, it's like I said, it's iterative. It's going to go through iterations, I think. But we have to have buy-in from the Gary V's of the world. And this is my criticism back to Mooncat is they hold all the coin of the realm currently. So we need those motherfuckers to buy into a decentralized or less centralized system so that people can get money so that we can create something new. Everyone works for the corporation now in some way. We have to play inside the, the game at this point. As David Foster Wallace, who you loathe, would say, this is water. It's everywhere. It's inescapable. I don't <laughs> I love old David Foster Wallace. Bam, David Foster Wallace in the house. I like David anyway. Fozzie Wallace. I don't know. I don't know who that is. Is that like Fozzie Bear? Uh, Didn't you see the meme I made? Uh, well, I, we need a shirt for that one too. As well as <laughs> Thought Puppet, by the way, which... Uh, <laughs> So, so we, we should NFT the fuck out of a thought puppet. Um, I'm gonna make I'm gonna make NFTs like nice fucking t-shirts. NFT, that, yo, I'm I'm down, I'm down. That's the next one. Look, look at this mug. Look at that sexy motherfucker. Look right at there. this sexy bitch. Yeah. That's right. That's right. And this is the bomb right here. And, and I I think we should take a portion of the proceeds and donate it to the Keep Ted Kaczynski Alive Forever Fund. <laughs> that motherfucker can't die because it cannot be that everybody we podcast about dies otherwise this this cabin dow is going to shit well i think we i think we <laughs> broke the curse um connie is not dead yet we talked about freud and stephen jay gould and they're already dead so but by talking well paradoxically by talking about freud we're keeping him alive <laughs> yeah my frigid vagina just shriveled up <laughs> I did want to say maybe we should talk about imagining a way in which you do not need a venture capitalist to start something where people collectivize what they already have, perhaps, and then bring something together to make it possible for an organization to begin. So crowdsourcing. Yes. Well, yeah, yeah. I could have said that more succinctly. But yeah. <laughs> Why, why isn't these bitches be crowdsourcing? They do, they do, baby. I told you, friends with benefits, crowdsources, they require you to pay. That's a prostitution ring. It's crowdsourcing. It's saying, (laughs) if you want to join, motherfucker, it's literally just a a, a rose by a different name. They're saying, Uh if you want to be in our little clique, in our group, in what we're building, we need $75. Make you holla. Well, then, well, then there you go. So. So therefore, there is a model for this that does not necessarily include Absolutely. the investor. Absolutely. Okay. I don't actually know cabins or origins of where their money comes from, but I'm going to guarantee it's some Silicon Valley. I think they're Silicon Valley Well, it sounds like, it, it sounds like they are. Can't be sure, but too many of the people speak that language <laughs> in order for me to think that they are not. Yeah, they do have kind of a tiered level of workers, so to speak. I don't want to call it workers. It sounds bad. Of uh, contributors. Yes, contributors. Euphemism for worker, bitch. (laughs) Worker. (laughs) I got to tell, what the fuck happened with your voice? Work, bitch. You better work, bitch. You need to work, bitch. You better work, bitch. Contribute harder, you little bitch. Um, no, so okay, so let's talk about we did yes, crowdsourcing, good, very good. Okay. There needs to be a way that that people can say, 
well, it's not exactly following this model in all instances. It does not have to. And the beauty is that somewhere in this is the capacity for it to be much more closely utopically decentralized than the traditional corporate structure. Certainly. And I think this, I don't know why I keep thinking about crystals when we're talking about this, but I think about like, um, you know, uh, x-ray crystallography, protein structures. But I think about when you're trying to construct the 3D structure of a protein, you have to form crystals around it to try and do this x-ray diffraction technique and yada, yada, yada. Basically, you make a lot of crystals and then you have to disintegrate them because not all of them crystallize properly. There's some missing aspects to it. It's not completely coded in the crystal structure. And so you crystallize and you fall apart. You crystallize and you fall apart until you get the right structure. And that's the way I think about what's happening in decentralized finance and decentralized organizations. We keep trying to crystallize the right structure. And I think, I think it's going to get there. I have to have hope that we're going to find a new system of existing that makes better sense than the one we're in right now. Because it's not working for most people right now. The one thing I really wanted to talk about mm-hmm. was the, and it's going to lead into what you want to talk about, patience, Iago, but mm-hmm. the, the I, I stumbled into a decentralized science talk. And the very first motherfucking thing I heard in this decentralized science Twitter chant was that we need to stop using terms like whitelisting when we're talking about a coin or or white labeling or a white paper or whatever. <laughs> Are you yeah. fucking kidding me? The reason I got a notification for it is because I follow Surge Women, which is the very first bounty I had was to listen to the podcast with Surge Women, which is a DAO that is trying to promote more women in the Web3 space. And Surge Dow, the founders, were doing a talk with this woman who does decentralized science. And it's it's more it's more DEI than it is science. It's like how how I've seen the eye roll you did when you talked about it, the decentralization and the women. <laughs> I didn't hear shit about science. All I heard about was inclusivity. And, and that's my main beef with, with that whole movement is it's inundated with this pestilence that they don't even recognize the, I don't want to get all Jordan Peterson on it, but the, the, the potential for the destruction of meaning with this overbearing DEI bullshit. It's the, we're, we're losing, we're losing when we let that take precedence over the actual mission of what we're trying to accomplish here. Uh, yeah. And so why it is that in corporate America, this hasn't been shut the fuck down. I have no idea. It's Look, a ghost. There, there are good ways to, uh, to talk about these things and do these things without making it so overt and so central that it winds up actually just destroying the work you're trying to do. We don't come together to talk about whether or not we have enough uh, two-spirit BIPOC people, uh, you know, in uh, the engineering department. We're looking to get shit done. The fact that you are any of those things is irrelevant. 
And by the way, I had, I had this, I had this general belief, and this is just me, and I know you and I disagree about the idea of, uh, of multiple intelligences and so forth. And we'll get to that at some point in time when I will smack your shit down like Lil Fief does in this motherfucker. But, but the fact that you came from some weird area of the world that's a little bit not, that, that isn't exactly Eurocentric or whatever, doesn't make you an original thinker. It doesn't contribute a unique fucking perspective on the, on the technical project you're working on. <clears throat> the fact that, <clears throat> the fact that you got a vagina ain't changing whether or not the solution to a complex problem has, it, none of this stuff relates. It is I disagree. fucking useless. If you're, it's the, the generalized ability to think is not going to be affected by your, False. or your origin story. I completely disagree. So I don't want to shit on diversity and inclusion because I find value in multiculturalism. I think you're exactly wrong that because, wrong. <laughs> seriously, because I come from a different space than you do, which is, is why there is magic in this space. And so I think diversity is important. It is, but it's again, this edge of chaos thing where if we are too diverse or we focus too much on it, it's going to fall the fuck apart. And it's a trap. It's like, it's a, it's a scary scary trap because we we can all melt into one big glob of neapolitan gray ice cream if we don't carefully move through this but i i do want to be very clear that i do think origin stories matter and i do think it leads to more creativity because there's shit that you and your white man brain haven't thought about that i have <laughs> because I have okay. because I have been outside of your white man brain and there are things in your white man brain that my brown girl brain have hasn't thought about but for but if we just listen to white man brain all day long it's first of all fucking boring and second of oh. all <laughs> no, okay the, the number one I, I I take little little thief take issue with all this bullshit little thief, get on the rainbow train <laughs> but here's what I'm saying you can include people and that's all I'm not shitting on the idea that diversity uh, and inclusion are Im important. It's the attempt to be equitable that I struggle the most with. And I also think that the attempt to make it a part of every conversation is detrimental to work itself. If I am in a meeting and I need to say, and especially how this is decentralized. I'm going to, and I'm going to, by the way, go here because I have chosen to. Mm -hmm. Do I, how much DEI do I really need? You're going to come here, bring your work, and you're going to be a man, a woman, an NB. You're going to be whatever the fuck it is you want to be. You can be a dragon uh, master in some, in some weird furry cult. And, and I'm, I, and I'm, I'll fuck with you. That's good. But people are coming here while they're coming here autonomously. And I think an attempt to do this thing and to have these kinds of architectures in there in a way destroys autonomy. I don't agree. I think they're not trying to be authoritative about it. And this is the whole Jordan Peterson argument is what's the difference between being authoritative 
And just putting the woman's face on the magazine, or the woman's body on the magazine, that's not authoritative. Just having a, it be part of your mission that you want to include more marginalized groups is not authoritative. What becomes authoritative is when you grant that segment of your culture the status of deity. That's well, 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 but that's what we're doing when we're when we're going out of our way to make 50% of what we're doing just talking about our backgrounds and our pronouns that's and, too much. and whether or not I've, I'm going to have a top surgery and yeet the teats and I'm going to bring them in and show them off in a nice little formaldehyde filled jar so you can see what I was huh? and what I've become. What? So what part of that has to do with designing X or accomplishing Y? Zero. Okay. Fucking zero. And by the way, I do have an issue with this Jordan Peterson thing. And Shit. Uh, yeah, so yeah, so we, we don't need to talk about this, but no, go for it. <laughs> I think he has a thing where he's right, and he's right in that. So this is the cover of Sports Illustrated. Sports Illustrated, this is like when Victoria's Secret came out with all this uh weird. You are going to look at people who achieve elite things from the top of the world that are almost impossible, and it's Sports Illustrated, and I've got this person on the cover who would be fine almost anywhere else. But imagine, for instance, if I was, if there was a black women's magazine and all of a sudden I put some, you know, some white woman up there or something like that, the uproar that would happen. But Sports Illustrated to, is not a skinny woman's magazine. It's a beautiful, it's an, it, it, it's they, an athletic, it's an athletic person's uh, magazine. And there are zero, uh, let's say, high level sports competition people who also have a certain somatotype. Okay, so, but, the, but the issue here is that the swimsuit edition is not about sports. It's about sex. Well, it's, about, it's not about sports or athleticism. It's about sex and hot women. I, well, and that, well, woman, yes. it, that woman is now being put on the cover as mm -hmm. a person who is sexable. Well, she's sexable. Sure. You're just mad. You're just mad. I'm not mad. I'm just saying you're, yeah, I'm saying this is, this is what happens. You're, you're taking something that does not represent a thing and then forcing it on people who are not going there to look for a thing. It's not forcing anything, I, but what does this have to do with putting a fat woman on the cover of Sports Illustrated? She well, what, there. She's not, she's not sports. Who, but who are you to say that she doesn't belong there? <laughs> Like literally, it's Sports Honey Illustrated. You throw. I'm being I'm giving, I'm being completely a dick right now. Just, but just no, but Sports Illustrated is the authority on who belongs on the cover of their magazine, not you. No, it's been hijacked by authoritative sources and blah 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 blah. No, anyway, I'm just, <laughs> I'm, just I'm, not, I'm trying to do a really bad Jordan Peterson argument. You I'm realize sucking. I'm gonna I'm gonna reface you with Jordan Peterson. <laughs> put you on. You realize that's happening, right? Okay, that's happening. I don't believe three quarters of this stuff that I'm saying, but I'm just uh, kind of going out of my way to be an You ass. don't believe that? Because you sound like a total dick right now, by the way. I can, I can sound like a dick and not be a dick. This is like you know, having an idea, but not necessarily uh, believing the idea. Oh, it's a dialectic. It is a dialectic. It's a self-dialectic. So, okay, did you see the meme of Jordan Peterson where he's like, he puts all these things up on the wall, like the scary Marxist and all these other things. And then he's like crying in the corner. <laughs> I feel like what you're saying is that Jordan Peterson is afraid of the boogie monster he keeps talking about. Well, he's created, well, he, he, I think rightly early on, 
uh, in uh, Bill C-16, uh, which I think is a big part of what brought him to fame, brought up uh, really bad ideas inside of legislation that were untenable and could potentially metastasize. He saw that in a way that almost no one else did, and he fought for it openly in a way that was important for everyone living in a free society. Compelled speech is the antithesis of freedom insofar as thinking freely is a foundation for living freely. However, now he sees the boogeyman everywhere. And so it's hiding behind the bush. Ass and titties. And, and he, yeah, and, yeah too, he needs to see more of those. So, <laughs> but, but a problem with pointing out something uh, as uh, insightful and prescient uh, as that and taking up that mantle is that now you can see the analogs everywhere and you have created your own demon and uh, that thing is just as powerful and maybe even more deleterious than the thing you were originally uh, fighting against. Not the titty monster. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, so so the the thing that I the one thing I will say I agree with Jordan Peterson on is that there is potential for this dragon of the void to come in and consume meaning. I do believe there is potential here. If we start if we start allowing all things to be all things, if up is down, then we lose meaning of everything. But, but beauty is not one of those things. Beauty is subjective. Even athleticism is subjective, right? If you, depending on what's, what's, what's the sport? What's the sport, motherfucker? Because if it's motherfucking cake eating, that bitch got it. Well, well, it also fits sumo wrestling. Right. I'm sweating. I don't even know where we're going with this. <laughs> Badass is sweating over here now. <laughs> Hold on. I think I'm, I think I'm sweating too. It's and it's because there should have been Lizzo on the cover of that magazine. Um, <laughs> okay. Well, see, okay, so there's where we. Well, there's a, so, so again, there's. It's not entirely subjective. So so uh, symmetry is not a subjective thing. If you right. see somebody walking in looking like the motherfucking elephant man, you know that's an ugly motherfucker. Uh, according if you to see someone extraordinarily thin or my six hundred pound life, no. So there's a range. And even with the Rubenesque woman that we were talking about last night, those women, there was a sense of proportionality that still retains the feminine. You get to a point where it obliterates it and that's no longer attractive. So, right. well, that, this and is, that's always the case. There is subjective, but there's a range. Right. The, the, the fear here is- How did we get on this fucking shit? <laughs> talking about diversity and inclusion. See, this oh, is okay. the problem. <laughs> it's a dragon that comes in and consumes all meaning and right. all of the, and we're no longer even talking about web three. We're talking about diversity and inclusion. So let's reel it back to what is happening here. And the truth is that there is a formula for shit that works. If you want to make a certain type of cookie, you know, a crispy cookie, you need your butter to be at a certain temperature. You need your brown sugar. You need this and that. And you need all these ingredients, objectively speaking, well-measured. And so I think the formula for trying to create a new community is going to have to be measured as well. So we do need a certain input of diverse voices. And the problem is that the people who are entering this space are largely finance bro and tech bro. And right. without the extra ingredients, we're not going to get the cookie we want. Well, the, well, but those people still want 
that cookie. So it's interesting that the originators have to pull something in that has nothing at all to do with their identity. They're just doing it because they care and are interested and are being- No, this has everything to do with their identity. It has everything to do with their identity because where you come from, who who you are as a person, E.O. Wilson would probably agree with this, is largely derived from your genetic instructions. But your environment and your surroundings are what adapt those things into your personal culture. And so we all have different places and environment. It's the nature versus nurture thing. Well, and, and, and so I agree with you uh, on that. And so the people who are going to start it are necessarily going to be these people who have been steeped in these cultures and have had, let's say, the kind of parental support and the kind of financial backing, whatever it took to get them through their education and so forth and their connections in, well, largely um, you know, venture capitalists, startup spaces, mostly in places like uh, Silicon Valley, right? So you start there and no one else is going to start it. There's no, where, where is the group of people who are not going to be uh, of, that, of that grouping who are starting up such spaces? It's their job ultimately to find ways to include people, but that doesn't make it that they're artificially creating a space either, such that identity becomes more important than the work itself. If they do that, then they're just going to devolve into the same thing that corporate America is becoming, uh, and it could wind up being its undoing. And, and so that's that's my concern. All the all the shenanigans and goofing aside, when you when you force things, they don't work. So they're trying to reconstruct this by injecting these people into these spaces earlier, because the truth is, is that it's not all bros. There are a lot of women starting DAOs now. Mm-hmm. So for you to say, oh, it has to be men. It has to be these people from these backgrounds. I don't think it's, so. So for example, me, it's still going to be predominantly those people starting it. It's not that women can't, it's not that, uh, it's not that anybody of any background can't start it, but just like with the, uh, the composition of STEM itself, let's say, because a lot of this is still based on a foundation of STEM. STEM is changing. It's changing, but the current composition is X. So I'm not saying this goes on indefinitely. No, it's not. It has has an original. No, it's not. uh, There are more women biology majors than men by far. And well, so yeah. the, 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 now that does tenure reflect that? Fuck no. Why? Because that's a gate kept structure that is they're trying to conserve. Now, what's happening on the outside with all of these other scientists and this, what Peter Turchin calls overproduction of elites, they bring in a whole motherfucking system down. So, <laughs> so this is, this is where people I think are afraid of what, of what could be, but I don't think we should be afraid of it. I think we should be cautious. I think we should be aware, but, but standards change all the time. And if we're trying to build something truly rev- revolutionary, I think we have to go through the postmodern fire potentially to get there. Well, the, the fire is already there. And the problem is that the fire is also uh, in some ways impeding some good progress. No, it's impeding progress in the state, in the same direction that we've been going. And this is what postmodern ideology is all about. It's about tearing down the hierarchy of meta narratives. It's about reconstructing reality and you loving Bauhaus. I don't understand 
how you're, <laughs> how you're so afraid of a little construction. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm not afraid of construction. I am afraid that in the process of deconstruction, there is no construction. That is a real fear. I think that's a real fear. But it may not be, when we tear down a building, what goes up in its stead could be nothing. It's the absence of a building. It could be something completely different. But it's a scary moment where we have to reevaluate what we're trying to do and what we want. And I think Web3 DAOs are an interesting place to do that because it's people who do want to work, people who do want to see change. It's a very important thing that comes that that is coming with so many risks and so many things that are actually nefarious. Uh, This goes back to our whole simulacrum and simulation discussion. I think this is a great time and a great segue to talk about our next challenge. Our next challenge is going to be to read Simulacra and Simulation by Jean Baudrillard, Mm -hmm. which we're reading for book club currently. So we'll have a couple more weeks of that. But then we're going to talk about all these examples and kind of try to reframe Baudrillard's language into something that's a little bit more digestible and less fucking pompous. (laughs) But I think this is a good segue because what we're doing with Web3 if we talk about the simulation of work and what work used to be banging two sticks together all the way to this corporate speak that no longer resembles work in any way, it's work is a a simulation of work now. And it's also meshed with living. So this is an important thing when we think about DEI as well, because when you do work for a DAO, you're largely subscribing to the ideology of the DAO more so than you would ever subscribe to a work culture. It's what work corporate culture has tried so hard to be with their values and bullshit, but it could never be because the stakeholders were always external to the company, largely. So now there's a lot of people, like you said, that are invested so that the stakeholders are more aligned than they ever would have been. So we are reconstructing a new kind of work that is more in sync with life and living and values than it ever has been before. So what the fuck kind of simulation are we in now? (laughs) Oh my God, dude. Well, anyway, so let's wrap this shit up. I am still very optimistic. I went through a little bit of a hopelessness period when I was reading about all these meta DAOs kind of coming, coming in and doing the same shit, but there's always going to be shitheads and people trying to get rich and people trying to do shit that is not savory. As long as there are people that really care and can do the work and can cut through the bullshit, we'll be okay. We have to start somewhere. And maybe this will bring us full circle to something like work and life having a parallel shared interwoven meaning that maybe we've lost since industrialization and we're going to meet at cabin zero period 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 and we're bringing jism mugs for everybody jism mugs for everybody around the campfire (laughs) baby 